there's always room for radical experimentation and the most interesting things are happening in these, you know, at the edges of it. The bigger question is, will it significantly change how we engage with culture? Hey, streamers and dreamers, my name is Otto Kent, and you're listening to The Week by Telecom Electronic Beats. It's Thursday, June 15th, and this is your weekly update on music, culture, and what's next. Remember the metaverse? During pandemic lockdowns and before AI took over the conversation, that's basically all tech bros wanted to talk about. But then restrictions eased and people went back to offices, clubs and stadiums. And the idea of the metaverse, this entirely new way we were all supposed to use the internet, it just never materialized. The metaverse is still technically metaversing though. Matter of fact, it got a big push last week when Apple held their worldwide developers conference. Vision Pro is a new kind of computer that augments reality by seamlessly blending the real world with the digital world. Well, I would say the Vision Pro is an incredibly expensive headset that does virtual or spatial computing if you want to use Apple's fancy lingo. And there are so many memes, especially because the Vision Pro uses like a front facing screen. It looks like clear glass. And if someone is in front of you in real life, the headset will like mimic your eyes. It's super creepy. The cyborg days are coming soon. So the jury is out if this is how we're going to all be doing our taxes soon. But one thing is certain. The Vision Pro really sparked a debate about what the future of the metaverse may look like. I mean, consider the possibilities from a music perspective. Front row concerts experienced from the comfort of your couch, enhanced 360-degree music videos, virtual club nights, collaborative songwriting in a virtual studio space. And yeah, you're right, all of that kind of stuff already exists. But none of it is past a niche stage, with users being either tech-savvy gamers or super fans. Apple has proven time and time again it can make tech more intuitive and make it more mainstream. For musicians and fans alike, this could really change the way we consume music and interact with our favorite artists, even without the goggles. Someone who's been closely following the debate around the Vision Pro is Mikhail Stangl. He's known for his time as a lead curator at Boiler Room and CTM Festival and as the head of culture at Web3 platform Zora. So he knows a thing or two about turning a dull browser tab into a banging nightclub. Mikhail, thank you so much for joining us in the studio today. Of course. Uh, it's my pleasure. The one thing I wanted to ask right off the bat was, would you go to an augmented VR rave or concert today? Uh, probably I would, just to see at the practicalities of it. This, like, and it's also like, what, what, like, how do, do you relate with your body to the room, to those around you? And what of the experiences that make, you know, being in a place, in a community, are enhanced through that or which elements of it are you depraved of? So it's really a what makes you tick and like how can this be applied kind of curiosity. Yes. For me, I was thinking about it and I was like, okay, if Arca does a augmented reality concert or a VR concert, like I'm there. Yeah. And I'm sure Bjork fans are like waiting, they're ready. But as far as uh, raves are concerned, I can see like the appeal, but I just see as a fan, like there's not, there's not enough there yet for me to be excited to be like, oh, I'm going to pay to go do that. I mean, the question is, will there ever be enough? Um, so what you said is, I think something that also applies to the past of the past, you know, 20 years of 
augmented reality or virtual reality is that the technology currently doesn't really have an application beyond some something artistic. There are a couple of artists that I personally think are taking all these combined technologies and remixing the cultures that we refer to in, 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 in for example, in club culture in a very interesting way, this team roles, you know. They have been doing that where they take, you know, virtual reality technology, gaming engine, and basically everything that the last 20 years of internet culture post MySpace have created in terms of like hyperactive media and compress it into one gamified, deeply psychedelic experience that is also somewhat rooted in, in club culture. So um, for anyone who's listening, you know, never, never engaged with that, that is something that would imply you to explore because then you see the outer edges of what's possible, but also then you very quickly see how overwhelming it will be at its most extreme. I've been thinking about it a lot as well, and, and the application in the future for me exists in a community realm. Also, it exists in some um, conversations that have been happening in the last five years in dance music and music in general about uh, the what we can do to open those spaces uh, as artists and as fans. One thing that comes to mind is like as a queer person wanting to go to raves or concerts or experience things in countries that I just don't feel safe going anymore. Maybe I used to. Uh, and then one that I had to consider today while uh, waiting for you to come for the interview, I was like, you know, this is actually could be a big deal for people who are living with disabilities and the future of like allowing those people the full experience to come to a space that um, just couldn't be available to them based on what the um, mobility issues they have are. Mm -hmm. I mean, this all really, really fair points that, that you're making. And um, of course... Um, and that's the whole story of the internet, that it allows you to connect where physical connection prior was not possible. You know, this is how many of the scenes that we engage with have been built, you know, from bedrooms from all across the world by teenagers or young people, you know, who in that particular time and place in history, you know, had a sense for a certain aesthetic and then they co-developed something despite having never met, you know, or produced. So that's, of course, one aspect of it. Like, how do you enhance community, but also how do you safeguard community? Of course, we kind of imagine these really utopian futures of that we have this digital safer space, but these, these digital safer spaces still happen in corporate environments, largely mm. in corporate environments. So um, I wonder if that even is a possibility any longer, unless you go really, really into the dark net. <laughs> well, I, I have to say that I think in my lifetime, since I've been, uh, I'm a part of one of the generations that's seen a lot of this um, transformation on the internet and the way in which artists, creators, and people who want to push against that corporate context of the ownership of the internet have tried to own spaces. And I thought what was interesting about the launch of this product was everyone was freaking out about the price. How is it that uh, we can push against this developer context having a high price tag? And I think that this week is the first time in a while I've, I feel like people are actually considering, hey, if this is the future and we've seen it and we can't afford it, we need to make sure that we're making either something else or forcing this to become something we want. Um, 
when 3D printers came up, you know, and they were incredibly expensive, people would group together, you know, and then there would be laboratories and it would be um, not open source, but would be um, turned into like something communal. So this could happen as well. You know, there is like some hack laboratory where everybody gets there like one hour with that toy. Maybe it's not possible. It gets be tied to one developer account. And the moment you share it, you need to pay up, cough up another three and a half thousand. So we don't know. Uh, well, let's no. assume that it's going to happen or that it's yeah. already happening. I yeah. mean, you're a fun guy. Yeah. <laughs> I try to. I try to. You're a DJ. You you know how to throw a party. Yeah. I mean, let's let's take a second and just project what that fun aspect of the future of this could be. Like, have you thought about how you would use it? Where do you see a experience that goes beyond the individual with such technology at play? You know, because the world is getting increasingly worse, you know, so people take any opportunity to kind of retreat into into their own worlds of like their own making that make them happier, you know, so you the result could be very solipsistic, you well, know. Well, that's the metaverse, basically. Oh, I mean, that... that <laughs> Do we even have time to talk about well, that? Well, I mean, you know, we don't. But I think that that's, that's what the conversation yeah. has been this week yeah. is like, okay, is this the device that's bringing the metaverse back? And look, if you really want to be dystopian about things, then these devices are going to be where we rave. So if you literally can't leave the house at some point, which I hope doesn't happen, but it might. Right now, if we're looking forward towards that dystopian future, we can start creating those nightclubs now. And I think some people have already done versions of that out of desperation, like Club Quarantine here in Berlin course, yeah. and a bunch of other places. And to be honest, those are kind of cool. I mean, but also with Club Quarantine, um, as much as they were incredible, you know, a lot we of... We should explain what that is for uh, listeners. Club Quarantine was, uh, during the pandemic, a group of artists who came together, who basically reproduced on one hand, you know, a aestheticized club experience, but also had an interaction element. For example, the chat room was actually the club toilets. So you could go with about six to eight people into one of the booths, which would be like a chat room, but there would be no usernames really. So it was dark and you would not know who you would be talking to. And that was actually the most hilarious aspect of I spent during club quarantine the most time I, I'm not somebody because I don't do I do go to the toilet but I don't do drugs so like I'm only just in and out so I don't have much of that experience of spending like an hour of your clubbing experience in the toilet but it was the best aspect of club quarantine but um, a lot of it was also pre-rendered and the problem is that a lot I mean of course there will be better chips you know generative AI, generative AI systems will you know make it effortless to design highly complex environments. So until that point, you know, um, a lot of these things will just fail because there will be never enough computational power or, you know, designers pooling together to make a technologically seamless experience, which if you look at, for example, gaming, you know, you need like some of the games that we find most entertaining have bigger budgets than some of the biggest Netflix movies. You know? For sure. But I think what you're saying is like the the almost like this this inevitable lag for these experiences um, might not be reached. But these days, the aesthetic around the lag is everything the kids want and everything That's that true. they love. And those little in-between spaces with um, the way that we synthesize music and the 303, which was not intended to be Absolutely. A, a, a technology, you know, for raving. Uh, it was all that in-between in space, the lag. So I think there is something to be said with like, we don't need to reach perfection. And like when it was club quarantine, uh, you know, I had a couple of friends over and we were just hanging out in the living room, session and having a good time while it was on the screen. 
screen. And it felt like we were a part of something a little bit bigger. And it was actually, it was different than a boiler room because it felt like everyone was behind something versus everyone being in front of you showing mm-hmm. you that you're not somewhere. And yeah. so I thought, you know, these are little windows into the success of how this can be applied to creating unfortunately smaller communities. Yes. You know, this is but potentially uh, ones that get us past some of the stuff that's happening to our wallets and our universe. Mm. Um, yes, I mean, absolutely. There's always room for radical experimentation and the most interesting things are happening in these, you know, at the edges of it. Um, and they luckily, mostly through appropriation, you know, end up somehow altering what mainstream culture and mainstream adaptation looks like. So there's always, you know, a potential and hope for subversion. But um, the bigger question is, will it significantly change how we engage with culture? And I think to a certain degree, no, just because of the physical limitations. You know, most of your friends probably get dizzy five minutes into any any experience that makes them, shuts them off of the most important sensory, you know, uh, inputs of their physical body. You know, the eyes and listening, you know, and then f- five minutes in there, usually completely overwhelmed by it. And that is something that we also need to take into account where I said, you know, that's why I said stimulants, you know, because ultimately I can envision just like this gaming culture right now is basically there's this whole supplement business for like it's basically you know repackaged energy drinks but aimed at like gaming culture you know boost your boost your league of legend um gameplay with this hyper berry flavored powder and the same thing will probably come at some point you know for these experiences you know oh you can't do this for an extended period of time. So here we have this anti-dizziness stimulant that will really (laughs) enhance the way you can engage with these technologies. This sounds very CTM. Are you curating this for the next year's CTM? (laughs) Um, No, I mean, we we are really, really, really committed to the physical space just because these spaces disappear more and more and more and particularly what you said, this, you know, very radical commitment to experimentation becomes even more impossible these days. So I think as exciting all of these distractions are, um, we need to be even more uncompromising about protecting what we're, you know, potentially replacing with this. That's actually an incredible way to send off because I like the idea that... um, the takeaway from this new technology and speaking about what might be happening in the future and how we can harness it. Instead, we can take this opportunity to just actually realign ourselves with what might not be around for much longer. So instead of thinking about how are we going to rave in these devices and how are we going to afford them, like save your money and go out. Yeah, or um, open up a space. Or open up a space, <laughs> Or petition yeah. that space is kept, are being kept open, you know. All right. Mm. I love that. All right, let's mm. let's find some, we'll put some, we'll put at least one p- petition in the show notes. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today and uh, yeah. giving your master class in uh, class warfare in, <laughs> oh, in the digital space. And, uh, and we'll definitely be excited to hear about what you're up to next. Thank you so much for the invitation. You have a wonderful week. <laughs> The Week. The wonderful The Week. Thanks again, Mikhail. And now let's dive into the other headlines that mattered this week. Are free parties cool again? 
Have you ever heard about the free party scene? In the UK, parts of Europe, and the US, it became a countercultural phenomenon in the early 1990s. Crews and collectives like Spiral Tribe in the UK would set up their sound systems in remote locations or reclaim well-known spots in order to throw very loud, very large, very free, and very open to anyone parties. These raves, sometimes referred to as techno with a K, were often experiments in radical independence. They operated outside of not just the mainstream music industry, but really outside of mainstream culture in general, creating what they called temporary autonomous zones for personal and collective discovery and dancing, all soundtracked by some heavy psychedelic and lightning speed bass thumps. Now there's a new documentary about all this. It's called Free, Behind the Scenes of the Free Party Movement. The director, Alessandra Hugo, told Resident Advisor that I'm not here to promote the free party world, but to give new tools and perspectives to understand it. Pretty cool. The doc is now streaming in cinemas throughout the UK. But if you're not in the UK, you can check the show notes for a playlist I prepared of some Spiral Tribe and Free Party Era tunes. Putting the cold in Coldplay. Last week, the band Coldplay shared statistics and details on their touring emissions, claiming a total reduction of close to 50%. Coldplay may or may not have been my first stadium concert back when I used to flatiron my bangs, but it's been a long time since I've been rocking clocks or yellow. One way or another, it's nice to see them take such a public and transparent stand for the environment. One example is they use some kind of a kinetic dance floor that basically creates energy when you dance on it. Their approach was even endorsed by the MIT Environmental Solutions Initiative as representing an effort that is critically important, scientifically rigorous, and of the highest quality. And Coldplay aren't the only ones making an effort. Ahead of this year's Glastonbury, the festival's late-night Arcadia stage announced that the entire area will be run on 100% recycled energy, turning used cooking oil into biofuel. So you can have some late-night fries at Glasto and know you're fueling the stage's massive pyrotechnics while you protect yourself from a hangover. Free drug testing comes to Berlin. Berlin's club scene definitely has a reputation for hedonism. Some might even call it pushing the limits. But the city is now taking a significant step to reduce harm, too. The Senate's Department of Health announced a so-called drug testing project in the city with three locations where anyone can get substances like marijuana, hash, cocaine, ecstasy, and speed tested to analyze the ingredients and detect impurities. This kind of free, accessible, and anonymous drug testing is so important, not just for minimizing risk and encouraging harm reduction in nightclubs, but also to the wide range of people experiencing addiction in various forms. And it's especially timely as the source and makeup of drugs have become much more unpredictable in the days of dark web dealers and fentanyl overdoses. Results come back three days after the drugs have been tested, so people just need to find their Capricorn and Aquarius friends who can plan ahead to take advantage of what I think is an exciting step forward for the city. Mother Ducker! Duck, yes, lost in the chaos of Apple announcing their new mixed reality headset was another change to iPhones that will forever change the way we text. Or at least how we curse when we text. Yes, we can finally say F-U-C-K. Why? Because Apple changed the iPhone's autocorrect system so that it won't automatically change f to something more foul. So let's get it quacking and remember... <laughs> I can't even say it without laughing. 
So let's get it quacking. And remember that rise in cringe DJ names we mentioned a couple of weeks back? DJ Duck Off or DJ Ducks himself couldn't be happier with the update. So it's almost time to wrap things up. But first, it's rec time. And today, it comes from my good Judy, the French DJ Roxy Moore, who just put out a phenomenal tune on the Black Artist Database label debut VA called Synergy. I've always been curious what Roxy Moore listens to on the road in between gigs. So I asked her what album she has currently saved in her phone. The album saved on my phone at the moment is Eddie Chacon's first album, I think. I'm not sure, quite sure if it's his first album. It's called Pleasure, Joy and Happiness. Kimet Foxman introduced it to me when we were hanging out in New York a couple of months ago. And since I would say it's an album that I like to revisit, to go back regularly, these days and also I like to share it with friends so it's a pop album but with a very west coast vibe very LA somehow uh, it's a bit vintage it's very soulful so it's have all this kind of a character that I really like and it reminds me a bit of a Curtis Mayfield or Shaggy Otis um, it's kind of very bittersweet with the lyrics and yeah is really and somehow is very comforting. So, yeah, this is my album of the moment. Thank you so much, Roxy Moore. You can of course find the link to the album in the show notes. So that's all for the week this week. Thank you for locking in. I'll be here next Thursday. Take care and remember to stop scrolling. The Week is a production by Telecom Electronic Beats and ACB Stories.